Hello, my name is Jess Lindley and this is Arthur's Heroes, the podcast from Arthur's Place, the magazine and social network for young adults with arthritis. You can find us at arthursplace.co.uk and follow Arthur's Place on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. This podcast is supported by Novartis UK. We are grateful to Novartis for their support, but they have no influence over the content of the podcast. As young people living with arthritis, We all know only too well how a chronic illness requires continuous courage. Courage is needed every day just to get up and get on with it, especially on those days when all of your joints are begging for you to just stay in bed. And even in moments of weakness, there's courage in all of us as we make the decision to fight. Courage is continuing the journey with hope because it is the only choice we have. My guest today is Molly a self-described crafter, nerd and adrenaline junkie. Molly was diagnosed with JIA aged 13. In 2017, aged 22 and a drama studies graduate, she wrote a regular blog for Arthur's Place called The Life of a Spoonie. At that time, she was barely able to walk unaided, was awaiting an ankle fusion and struggling to find a job. Despite all of this, Molly appeared pretty upbeat. In her final blog post, written a couple of weeks before surgery, Molly wrote, We just need to remember to keep our heads up and keep looking towards the future and the positives it can hold. We can't let arthritis define us and we must keep fighting it, even when we feel like we can't. Fast forward to today and Molly has had a successful surgery, got married and made her way into a theatre, but perhaps not the kind she might have expected. She's now in her first year as a student nurse. Recently, while on a surgical placement, Molly witnessed an ankle fusion performed by the same surgeon that did hers. Courage, she could say, has well and truly been mustered. Molly, welcome to Arthur's Heroes. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So, you described yourself in 2017 in your blog posts as an adrenaline junkie. Tell me a bit more about that. I probably wouldn't describe myself the same way anymore, but back then I just liked to do anything exciting, really. I did a bungee jump. I really wanted to skydive and I've not managed to do that yet. And I climbed a couple mountains, uh, including Kilimanjaro, the highest freestanding mountain in the world. Well, it was all amazing experiences and I just wanted to to do all of that stuff all the time. So courage is obviously really inherent to to doing those things and especially so when you have something like arthritis. Do you think that having had the condition since you were 13 made you more determined to pursue activities that people maybe wouldn't traditionally think of as being that accessible to people with arthritis? Yes, definitely. I like to try and prove people wrong in life. Anything that people think oh, you know, someone with arthritis wouldn't, couldn't or shouldn't do that. I'm like, hmm, really? I like to think that if I didn't have arthritis, it's how I would live anyway. But having arthritis has just motivated me to try and do what I think normal people do. You're clearly very courageous. You're obviously also quite persistent. Does that carry over into everyday life or is it reserved for adrenaline giving opportunities? Doing a nursing degree, I feel that that's on the same line. It is something that I never thought I would be able to do and I imagine many other people wouldn't have thought I was able to do. And yet I still persist and do it. But 
day to day, you know, I still get tired out. I still have days where I just sit around in my pajamas and don't do a lot. And I think that's a given really with having arthritis. I think people see us when we're doing things like our daily lives, our jobs and think, you know, oh, they actually live pretty well. They don't really have any issues, but actually on my days off, I'm just tired. So it's not all the time. No, but it, you know, I try my best to keep it up as much as I can. Those sorts of days, they're the very definition of invisible, aren't they? And I think a lot of the listeners probably identify with the concept of not exactly putting on a brave face, but wanting to demonstrate whenever possible how not limited they might be. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was reading your blogs. You started writing for Arthur's Place in 2017. Your diagnosis story is very different from a lot of those that I have read. It sort of seemed to happen fairly easily for you. It didn't seem to kind of involve the years of, of waiting and puzzling that some people have to go through. Yeah. What kind of inspired you to put that out there? Were you not worried that people would think, well, she didn't have a very hard time of it? No, I just wanted to share it to say that it's not always difficult. You know, if you think you have something like this, you know, if your joints are aching and you don't know why, you might think, oh, well, I've seen people with arthritis and they have terrible times getting diagnosed. But it's not always like that. And like you say, in a way, I kind of feel shamed that I have such an easy diagnosis. But I think that was just because I was just so lucky with the doctor that I had saw at the time that she was persistent and she wasn't going to stop until she had an answer. And I'm so lucky and grateful for that because that is what you need. You need somebody with professional curiosity to find out what what is wrong because it's not a normal diagnosis to have, although it's a lot more normal than people think. As we know, being in Arthur's Place, there are so many young people with arthritis and yet it's still, when I say it to someone, they go, oh, you're a bit young though, aren't you? And I'm like, oh, I wish I was. But that was your reaction too, wasn't it? I mean, you wrote in, in your blog post that you said to your mum, does she know how old I am? So you were clearly quite shocked by that as well as a concept. Exactly. You know, at 13, you don't expect someone to say, oh, I think you have arthritis. I thought, are you mad? But now I know she wasn't mad and she was in fact brilliant. I'm glad that it worked out for you, even though it was it was clearly a surprise at the time. Yeah. So age 13, then when you were kind of facing your ski trip that you weren't able to go on, obviously living sort of a, a normal life prior to that in school and everything. What were the key things that kind of enabled you to almost get on with your life after that point because I mean I remember my diagnosis being a massive shock and something that I kind of had a hard time getting over but I was I was obviously much older when I got mine what did you kind of draw on what were your kind of support networks at that point to sort of help you with that it was obviously a shock in a way I can't remember it fully but I wonder if that's because at the time I didn't process it it was just I was just going through what I had to go through I had to go and have, uh, I had so many steroid joint injections and I was traveling to Leeds, even though I lived in, in North Yorkshire, I was traveling to Leeds because that was the closest place for a pediatric rheumatologist. I just remember sitting in waiting rooms and because I was in pediatric rheumatology, I was around lots of young, really young people 
much much younger than me especially when i went in for my joint injections because i was on a child's ward for it even though i was 13. i just seemed to carry on but you know i got to miss out on pe which i kind of loved because i always hated pe but people never seemed to understand it though and i think when i was at school i feel like a lot of people maybe thought i was faking it but I never let myself go off sick. The only time I was off was when I had all those joint injections. I was off for that day and I think I was off the day after and then I went in again. And having had a joint injection as an adult, I don't know how I did that. When I had them in the first place, I had um, 16 in one go because I, I literally, I got arthritis literally everywhere. Um, I say it as I literally had it in one of every joint at least. So that's why I had to have so many. And when I think back, I seem to just have got got on with it and I kind of wonder how sometimes. Do you think the ability to almost step out of your own shoes and almost distance yourself a bit from, from what's going on, do you think that fed into doing a degree in something like drama where it's all about empathising with other people and almost living different experiences? Like you say, that's a lot about understanding other people. I still feel like I didn't really understand and get along with the fact that I had arthritis until after I'd graduated when I was blogging really. I was very um, sort of I feel in denial about it and wanted to do you know natural things to help it because I was like I don't need medication I'll be okay without it. I really hated methotrexate and I really hated having to inject myself and take tablets every day. I was like no I, I can live naturally I'm perfectly fine and that backfired. I think uh, that's an experience a lot of us have, have shared for whatever reason when we've, we've not been taking our medication it's maybe not gone as much to plan as we would have hoped. I would say being on the stage takes an awful lot of bravado. What made you want that as a career? It doesn't seem like something that's particularly compatible with arthritis. I mean whilst I don't rely entirely on, on natural remedies, I would say that sleep sleep is a big one and I don't feel like actors and actresses get a lot of that. I mean, it's, it was probably part of the um, whole wanting to do things that people think I can't. When I was at school, I loved drama and I loved music the most. They were my two favourite subjects. I used to play um, the violin, the clarinet and the drums. And after school, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know whether to go to ordinary college and do A-levels and I was going to do uh, music and drama and um, sociology and something else or whether to go fully do a B-tech in acting. And you know what? I was like, I'm going to do a B-tech in acting because that sounds better. And I'm going to be an actor. I did really want to be an actor at that point, which I know surprises people sometimes when they see me now. But I, you know, I wanted to be in the soaps and things like that. And I think... Actually, when I was at uni, I realised that that probably wasn't going to be physically possible. As, uh, when I was at uni, I became reliant on, I had a walking stick and basically gradually my mobility was getting worse. And I think I realised it's a very competitive world out there, even for people who are completely able-bodied. So it's not very likely for somebody who I can't walk in normal shoes. I did a bit of radio presenting myself with my husband. We really enjoyed that, but we've not been able to do that at all during the pandemic, unfortunately, because we've not been able to go into the studio. And so that was sort of the little bit of performing arts I held on to. We did this radio show every week about um, stage and screen and uh, played all musical songs and had a fabulous time. I, I still would like to perform maybe amateur 
things, but I don't really see me being a professional anytime soon. So obviously you were you were very kind of deeply rooted in, in that world and clearly that's something that you've enjoyed even after you've kind of had to give it up. But what you have done is switch to a completely different type of career. As we've said, a completely different type of theatre. And not just that, but also the kind of life where instead of literally being in the spotlight, you're blending in, you're mopping up, you're almost doing the less pleasant things that people don't normally want to do. That level of career shift is is very brave. Or was it something you had always considered alongside acting? I have never considered it. I'm actually on placement on a ward at the minute that I was on after I had my surgery. And I often say to the nurses, I was like, when I was here four years ago, I never, this is never the place I thought I would end up. But after my ankle fusion in um, 2017, I obviously had to readjust to sort of being able to walk and things like that again, because I had gradually ended up in a wheelchair before the surgery so that took a really long time it wasn't the easiest process and I'm really grateful that I you know had a wonderful he was my then fiance now husband um to look after me because you know I know it would have been really hard without that and then in recovering you know I started applying for just different jobs literally anything and I didn't really seem to get anywhere in fact, I even had an interview for somewhere that told me that they didn't hire me because they didn't think I'd be physically able, which was kind of not okay. So I I also at that time um, had a really tragic loss in my family and this motivated me to just get something, get somewhere because um, the last conversation I'd had with this person was actually about how I didn't get a job. And I thought that's just so sad <laughs> that this last conversation I had was about me not getting a job. So I just, I need to get a job. I need to get get back in the game. And so I applied for a job in care and I was like, this is never gonna happen. They're not gonna hire me. I have no experience. In fact, I don't even really like people that much. I did two interviews uh, for care jobs and both of them offered me a job in the interview. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. And I started working in care and I was like, you know what, it will tide me over and I'll get another job because it's always easy to get a job when you already have a job. Um, but then I started it and I loved it. And I worked for this particular care company for um, three months and then I changed to uh, residential home care instead because I wanted somewhere that was sort of more permanently in the same place. And then I worked there for uh, nearly two years and then during lockdown last year uh, I was off because I was shielding um, and I started to think sort of what do I want to do where do I want to go with this because I, I absolutely love working in care I, but I, want, I thought I can do more with this and I thought you know what I'm going to apply to be a nurse I applied to the uni in the city where I live and he offered me a place in my interviews. And I read I remember vividly reading your post on Arthur's Place Social about having watched the surgeon who did your ankle fusion surgery doing the same thing for another patient. And I'm going to come on to that in, in more detail in a bit because I want to talk to you more about that. But even in that kind of last few sentences, you listed so many things that you've had to sort of cope with over the past few years. So what most of us would consider a, a fairly intimidating surgery in the first place a career change, getting married, a sort of a sudden bereavement and 
and then shielding on top of all of that and a global pandemic which even the healthiest happiest most able-bodied person in the world I think has probably struggled to cope with so at that time when there's so much going on in your life and so much to cope with how did you come to make these decisions did you have to consciously decide to accept more help from other people because it sounds from your sort of persistent nature putting your hand up and saying actually I can't do this by myself might not be something that comes very easily to you so how did you kind of navigate that amidst all the kind of tumult of the past few years I feel over the last couple years I've actually learned to ask for help a lot better than I ever have before I've learned to be honest and to say you know I'm I'm quite open and honest with absolutely anyone to be honest so people ask me all the time oh you're limping and I'll just tell them honestly yes I am I've got a fused ankle because I have arthritis and they're like oh okay that honesty just really helps everything especially with nursing because you know I'm working with people who are caring people so all it takes is for me to say I'm in a bit of pain at the minute and they'll be like oh you know have a sit down for a bit you know oh go take your break early or something like that because I think just being honest about what's happening is just it just helps everything and not even just about my arthritis about mental health as well you know telling people when you feel a bit anxious or a bit down they can just help just being honest with people and accepting the help when it's offered to you even if you are a bit stubborn like me I mean that's something that I know a lot of people myself included really struggle with because you don't want to be a burden you don't want to be the one who's always annoying and saying oh can you slow down I can't go that fast or or whatever it might be so in your transition from drama through to nursing into sort of a more caring role yourself was there something in doing that that kind of helped you to realize that actually people want to help and people would rather be asked than not not know and not be given that opportunity I think working in care is what made me realize this and especially with starting from completely new and never having dealt with caring for anyone before I knew how sort of scared I was to go into that and to start helping people and not knowing what to do and having to ask questions and feeling awful when I asked questions so then when I was more regular in care and we got new people I always said to them I was like please just be honest with me and tell me if you want to know things because I'd rather you asked a question and felt stupid than did something stupid because I was like you're not it's not stupid no question is stupid I'd rather you just ask things and kept yourself safe and kept other people safe than just try to muddle through okay so on that note I'm going to move on to other sorts of things that you consider worth doing such as climbing mountains so you mentioned earlier that you climbed Kilimanjaro yeah so my first question is before or after the ankle fusion before why did you choose to climb this mountain? I mean, I'm all for mountains. I grew up in the Peak District. Hills are my thing. But Kilimanjaro is a different kettle of fish entirely. Why did you decide to climb it? Because I saw it as a fundraising opportunity for this charity at uni. And I thought that's a really cool idea. A really cool idea for somebody who hurts to walk. That's a fantastic idea. I bet I bet it was a fantastic idea. You know, it was an amazing, amazing experience, but probably up there with one of the most painful experiences of my life. I even, not even just that I did it, I even talked my now husband into doing it as well and one of our housemates. So I didn't even just convince myself, I convinced two other people as well. So obviously that's a personal challenge that you 
clearly went for without sort of too many second thoughts and I think there's something for all of us who have things like arthritis about actually being almost allowed to to make decisions that might come across as stupid do you think that's hard for people like your your husband or your housemate to watch I think at the time it was actually hard for my parents to see because obviously a lot of people didn't think I was going to manage it and they thought I was going to be spending a lot of money on something that was ultimately going to be terrible for me but I was quite capable and all of us managed to climb the mountain in the end even when we were on the mountain though I doubted I was going to do it because I you know they'd said to us before we started uh, statistically um, at least one of you will not manage it and I, everyone naturally thought that was going to be me they should have known better I know they should have I wasn't even the last to the top or anything you know even when I was on the mountain we had that seed of doubt that I was going to manage it because I was like oh statistically you know one of us isn't going to do it and I would say out of us here I'm probably the least fit um, you know I'm obviously the least healthy in a way <laughs> but it was a really amazing experience and you know I wouldn't take it back uh, we have our certificates on the wall with a nice painting of Kilimanjaro and they'll always take pride of place in our front room. So clearly you you don't shy away from intimidating experiences. We've obviously talked about what led to your decision to go back to university as a, a mature student, but what were some of the challenges that you have faced this sort of first first year of doing that so obviously shielding has been a big problem this last year gosh yeah i wasn't able to go out on my first placement because uh it was announced that we had to start shielding right on the day that we were supposed to start placement <laughs> um so i had to miss out on that which was a shame and you know, I feel like that made things quite difficult for me because I felt there wasn't too many in my year group that had to shield and it kind of, it was quite lonely, I suppose, in that I knew all my fellow students who I'd met a few times in, in my clinical lessons, they were out there and they were doing what I was supposed to be doing as well. So that was hard. And then obviously there was actually going out in the pandemic. I know I was, I'm so lucky in that I was, I'm on a what they call a green placement which is um, basically COVID secure because everybody that comes on the ward has to have had a COVID test before they come on the ward um, so I'm really lucky that that's where I am because I know that it must be really scary to be in places where that's not the case and I know that for a lot of my fellow students you know they've been on COVID wards and things like that and it's been a really scary experience for them yeah, I was going to say this past year must have come with additional pressures if if you are kind of in that situation. But I imagine even being on a, a green ward, there's things going through your mind that wouldn't have been if you'd been doing this, you know, sort of two or five years ago. Yeah. And, you know, on top of that, obviously, I was working um, during this pandemic as well. And I well, apart from the shielding, obviously, and when I returned to work for the first time um, after the first sort of bout of shielding, I was so terrified of going back. I, you know, I went in, I sort of voluntarily went in for a couple of hours just to get used to being around people again, because I, I was going into a home with over 30 residents and however many staff, and I, you know, I was just like, oh, this is scary. Although I, you know, I was less scared for myself and more scared for the people that I was seeing but 
Uh, and I know that annoyed my family and a lot of this I've been less scared about myself and more scared about other people but that's just sort of what I'm like I guess. I think that's a really interesting that even in that situation you still think putting other people first and I guess that's the definition probably of, of a good nurse but how have you found making the transition from being a patient in a medical setting since you were sort of 13 years old to being staff probably confronted on a daily basis with things you don't know how to deal with and at the end of it there's an actual human being as opposed to in my job where there's a nice email that I can just shut down. It's been a bit crazy a bit a bit weird, obviously, being at the other side of what was me, you know, it's, it's made me realise how awkward of a patient I was, you know, <laughs> said that it's quite a common thing for people, orthopaedic patients to A, pass out and B, be really sick. And I was like, yeah, now you say that, I was quite sick after my surgery. So yeah, I mean, it's been really good in that I've had the experience of being a patient and that I can talk to patients a lot easier and understand how they feel. But obviously, I don't know all the answers. I don't know the technical things behind things that are happening, but I can answer things about like sort of how, what's normal to feel after an anaesthetic because, you know, oh, I felt that as well. So I can t- tell you it's normal, hopefully. And obviously, when I witnessed the ankle fusion, I was able to sort of really understand the patient that I was with. They were quite a bit older than me, so, you know, it was quite different in that respect. But I understood that, you know, the patient had been waiting a long time for this, and I understood how that felt. I also understood the sort of relief after it's done, that it's done. And I was able to tell them that, you know, hopefully, obviously not in every single case, but hopefully this will work and this will be the sort of saving grace for them because you know they wanted to go abroad one last time to go see their family and they were hoping that this ankle fusion was going to give them that ability to do that um and I was like you know if if it goes as well as mine did you'll you'll be going abroad (laughs) so in that instance that experience which for you in 2017 must have been terrifying probably ended up making you a better nurse in that situation yeah I do think it did the post that you wrote as I said it was really inspirational and I remember reading it and thinking wow that's so cool taught me a bit through the feeling of coming full circle in that instant I was really excited um so being on the ward I knew that they did orthopedic surgeries quite often and I was like when there's an ankle fusion someone tell me because I really want to go see it and they were like um okay and I'm like just because I had it done I want to see it done to somebody else and um I actually didn't realize at the time that the surgeon who did the surgeries on ankles on my ward was the same person who I had seen I hadn't realized because um I'd seen the doctor's first name and on the boards it was always the doctor's last name and then I it 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 clicked and I went oh that's the same surgeon that did my surgery that's incredible and then on this day that I went in I actually just happened to overhear this patient saying that they were in for an ankle fusion and I went I I ran over to my supervisor and I was like I know it won't mean working with you but can I follow that patient and she was like yeah if you want and I was like thank you Um, (laughs) and um, so you know I admitted the patient and I obviously asked is it okay if I come to your surgery and I didn't tell her at that point that I'd had the same surgery I thought you know that's not not a conversation for right now 
and yeah and then I watched the surgery and it was it's done quite different now to how it was when I had mine it was just incredible to watch really and the surgeon you know he was so accommodating he was like come and have a look you know you know I, I actually felt a bit emotional sort of that I'd seen it you know I'd seen some surgeries before that um you know I'd seen a hip replacement and um a cholecystectomy which is gallbladder removal and you know but this sort of well I guess it hit home I suppose in that this is what I had done four years ago and, and now here I am watching it. So I have to ask as well nursing while living with a chronic illness that can't be easily navigated I mean nursing in my mind is being constantly on your feet working night shifts lifting carrying how do you negotiate that side of things so of course there is a lot of that but studying to be a nurse you actually get your occupational health check so they'll check they'll ask you if you have any limitations anything that you um, shouldn't be doing and they'll accommodate that in your placements they'll make sure that you know you're not going somewhere that's ridiculously too much for you um although at the minute i've sort of said that there isn't really any limitations i can deal with pretty much everything at the moment um but i know that if it ever changes that there's always occupational health even when you are a nurse you've always got occupational health to make sure that everything is right for you um but you know the, your career choices when you actually are a graduated nurse are much wider than just being on a ward and doing night shifts you know you can be um in a gp surgery where realistically you actually get to sit down quite a bit or you could be a specialized nurse you know um like andrea is a rheumatology nurse um you know there's there's so many different options it it always sounds like you're, you know, you're going to go to a hospital, you're going to work in A&E or you're going to work on a ward. Um, but that's not necessarily the path that everyone takes. And I think that that's something that anyone who considers nursing, who has a chronic illness, they should think about. The end goal isn't being on a ward or isn't running around for hours on end because that's not necessarily what you will do. And even if it is, there are ways that they can accommodate you you know by giving you certain shift lengths and things like that at the end of the day they want nurses who are good at their job and and are aware that nurses aren't good at their job if they're in pain <laughs> um we need more nurses so if anyone is willing to do it and they are they are able to meet requirements to help you do that they you know they're quite willing to do that thank you for sharing all of your insight of a career that most of us probably will only ever be on the other side of the majority of of Arthur's Heroes podcast listeners probably will will always interact with nurses as people who are looking after them rather than the other way around so it's really fascinating to get the other perspective from somebody who's seen both sides of the equation quite literally their own surgeon doing their own surgery you've done you've done a lot of courageous things and you've had a lot of difficult experiences over the past few years and you've clearly come out of the other side of them smiling to some extent what would you say to people who perhaps they're struggling with their arthritis in terms of pain management or getting the right medication or perhaps they've got questions about their future and what they might or might not be able to do as a career or perhaps they just are not very good at asking for help but know that they need to get better at it but that feels to them like taking sort of the plunge 
what would you say to people who perhaps don't feel as brave as you are? I'd say just think about how much it will help or affect you in the future. It might feel awful asking for help in that very moment, but in the long run, it's going to help you so much. You know, if you just keep asking the, the right people for the right things, it will help you. It just, it might feel, you know, not great in the first place, but it's worth it. Thank you, Molly, for talking to me today and for sharing all of that with me. I think there's so much in your story and so much of your courageousness and persistence and downright stubbornness it sounds like at times that our listeners will identify with but will also be of great value to them to see how you have shaped that into what you clearly find such kind of an exciting and fulfilling career prospect and sort of life choice I suppose now um, if anybody wants to find out more about Molly's journey, you can read her blogs on the Arthur's Place website. Find her post in the Arthur's Place social group because honestly, when I read it, it nearly made me cry. Thank you very much for joining me, Molly. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, lovely. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. for listening to Arthur's Heroes. For more podcasts, information and access to loads of great content for young adults with arthritis, please visit arthursplace.co.uk. You can also find other young adults to chat to in the Arthur's Place social Facebook group. Follow Arthur's Place on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and find out more about Codeword Pineapple, the pin badge for people with an invisible disability at codewordpineapple.org.uk. Thank you to Novartis UK for their support in the production of this podcast.